We're in the midst of a series on marriage, the missing pieces, and uh, in the midst of this series, I'm doing something I haven't really done very often before, and that is I'm taking questions, and I'm finding that you guys aren't throwing me softballs. <laughs> and it's really good because it's, it's causing a sense within me of the need to drill down so that we have understanding, so that we can really let the gospel and invite the gospel change us deeper and deeper. Um, because marriage is not just about adding changed behavior and learning to be nice. It's about becoming a nice person, a loving person. So otherwise, if it's just all about our behavior, all about what we're able to do, then we're pretty much going nowhere. So let's, uh, let's dedicate that and ask that the Lord would meet us in His Word. Father, would You take and would You open and deepen our understanding and give us clarity, but Lord, give us Your presence because nothing else matters at this point in time as we listen to some important truths about the Gospel and Jesus, Lord, than us not just knowing those truths and hearing them, but experiencing the presence of Jesus. So Father, may You do a great work. In Jesus' name, Amen. At the root of any meaningful friendship, and we're talking specifically about the category becoming friends within your marriage, I know it sounds weird to say becoming friends. You would think you already were, and then when you got married, you just build on that. But oftentimes, it's easily lost. But at the, at the root of any meaningful friendship is this core understanding. And you can apply these same ideas, these same uh, principles to marriage within the family or even um, fr- friendship within marriage or friendship within the community of faith here community of believers, but it's this, that friendship takes more than shared interests and physical chemistry. It takes more than shared interests and physical chemistry if you're going to be able to maintain a friendship for the long haul. And I've shared this a couple times, but we're, diving, we're drilling down a little bit deeper this, this first point. So forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but... Uh, Really, it doesn't matter. Uh, we're we're going to do it anyhow because it's so critical. But friendship, friendship with my spouse, friendship within the community of faith is rooted in and empowered by the Gospel. And what I mean by that is friendship is modeled by Jesus. He shows us what it looks like. He told His disciples in John 15, I'm no longer calling you servants. You're no longer servants. You're friends. You're friends. There's a, there's a level of friendship and a level of intimacy that had developed between them that is profound. He showed us what it was like. He showed us what friends do, how friends engage with one another. And we experience friendship with God, the reality of this friendship, through our relationship with Jesus. And as we grow and as we understand and experience Jesus in deeper and deeper ways, it's out of this well that we We drink, and it's out of this well that we offer then friendship with our spouse, specifically for this series, or friendship within our own community of faith or or wherever, wherever we are going to be engaging with people. It's out of this experience, this transforming experience with Jesus that I begin to live out in a different kind of way with other people. And this... This is profound because this experience with Christ is what shapes the kind of person that I become. 
and in the midst of our marriages, the kind of person that I bring to the table, regardless of whether it's peaceful times or whether or not it's tumultuous times. It determines, it shapes the kind of person that I bring to the table when I talk with my wife about hard topics, when my wife gets on my nerves. It's that Gospel that shapes the kind of person that I choose to engage with her in. Okay? That's really important. Now this will chafe against my normal inclinations. Therefore, as I seek to, by the power of the Gospel and Jesus living within me, and by seeing His life, that that reality is going to change me from the inside out. And building this friendship with my wife, deepening it, is not just done by my own choices. It's done in a way that is empowered by Jesus. I had a good friend, and I'll just go ahead and tell you who it was, because he, he's the one that answered, asked the question uh, last week, and then he clarified it some. Jason Comerford. He said, uh, in your marriage series, Martin, you use the phrase, choose to, and then blank, a lot. I do. Or as my granddaughter says, I do. While I agree that the Gospel involves making, making choices difficult and often painful ones, I want to bring about some discussion showing that mere willpower and better performance are not the basis for meeting the trials of marriage. It's not helpful to a man who struggles with anger or despair, depression, lust, etc., to bring the solution down to mere willpower or choice. And he couldn't be more spot on. Um, if that's what we're left with, then we will try harder and harder and harder and we will become more and more burdened. To where we just say, ah, it ain't worth it. It isn't worth it. So what is it that I'm talking about that's different from that? And it's this. Over time and through our surrender to Jesus, Jesus begins to change the, the core inclinations within my own life. In 2 Peter 1, it says we become participating participants within the divine nature as a result of conversion through the Gospel as a result of bowing our knee before Jesus. There's something dynamic that is, happens within us. Jonathan Edwards put it this way, the seeds of God's divine nature are implanted within us. It doesn't mean we become God. It just means we have God planted within us. And it's those seeds that begin to change. And you can go back to several months ago when we talked about the parable of the sower and the seeds for four weeks. The, the Gospel of Jesus Christ and the conversion process that takes place within us when we bow our knee before Him and we surrender to Him and we cry out to Him, the Gospel begins to rewrite. It's like... It's like a new computer code, a new operating system that doesn't stand outside of me and say, you need to start doing this and this and this and this. Talk about pressure. But instead, it begins to change me from the inside out. That's what is taking place. My natural inclination, for instance, is to love those who love me and to like those who like me and to reject those or hurt those who hurt me. 
That's my natural inclination. That comes about as a result of my sin nature, which then produces revenge, bitterness, anger, fighting, grumbling, all that kind of stuff within me. That's my natural inclination. However, because of the power of the Gospel within me, Jesus is doing something different. Amen? Oh, come on. That was really weak. Jesus is doing something different, right? Or at least He wants to do something different within us. And it's by that power, that those seeds of inclination, that we then begin to realize that I'm becoming a different kind of person. It's through the power of Jesus that I begin to change. Um, I become a different kind of person. And as a result, I begin to relate to others as a different kind of person. And as a result of that, I become and I grow over time and through surrender what is called the follower of the way. When Jesus, when Christians, before they were called Christians, the first title that was given to them in the book of Acts was not Christians. That was seen as a derogatory term. It was they are followers of the way. And it wasn't just the way of Jesus into salvation for eternity. It was into a whole new way of life. It was into a whole new way of relating to God. A whole new way of relating to others. A whole new way into being. And it was all the result because of this conversion, this transforming process that begins to happen within us. Suddenly the world around them who started calling them, your followers of the way, suddenly they started to do it. Not because of the message necessarily that they saw, but because of the actions and the lives that they saw being lived out as a result of the Gospel within their lives. Therefore, they were called followers of the way. And they began to live lives as fully integrated human beings. And that was... That means this, that they weren't one way when they came to church on Sunday and then lived another way on Monday through Saturday. Suddenly, who they were on Sunday began being lived out throughout Monday through Saturday as well as in the home. That, was what I, that is what I mean by a fully integrated individual. It's not someone who's backstage, front stage, you know, who, lives up, who lives out one sort of front stage on the on Sunday and then begins to live out their backstage all the crud that nobody else sees on Sunday, Monday through Saturday. It's not that at all. They were followers of the way. And as a result of that, those changes in my core inclinations that produce these followers of the way, Jesus empowers my journey today and the choices that He calls me into so that when I say, God, I want to love my wife, He says, I'm so glad for that because that reflects the inclinations that I place within you. And now I want you to do it, but you're not going to do it by yourself. I'm going to empower you to do so. Because if, there is, if it's just up to me, it ain't going to happen. And that's not because Kim is hard to love. It's because I'm just not a very loving person apart from the Gospel and apart from Jesus. Mere willpower, Jason, you're right, is not enough. It's got to come through surrender. It's got to come through the Gospel. Paul puts it like this, and I'm using a different translation that I think captures the essence of this in Philippians 2. When he says this, as he's gone through the example in the life of Christ, he says, So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even much more in my absence, and why did they obey? Because of the Gospel. 
Because of the Gospel. And then he says, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. Continue down this path through surrender and through the empowerment of God. Continue working out your salvation in all, with awe and reverence. For the One bringing forth, or the One who is working within you, uh, both the desire, that core inclination that I spoke of in 2 Peter 1, that becoming a different kind of person, both the desire and the effort, the empowerment to make the choices in keeping with those core inclinations, the power, the effort, um, who works both within you, the desire and the effort, for the sake of His good glory, His good pleasure, who is it that does all of that? God is doing that. Now, I wish God would not just give me the core inclinations at one point, but He would give them fully developed. And not only that, but He would give me all of the power to all of a sudden live totally changed, boom, like that. But He doesn't do that. What He does is He's saying, I'm not going to change you all the way yet. We're going to plant this seed, a.k.a. the parable of the sower in the seeds. I'm going to give you those and they're going to slowly transform your life over time in profound ways that you cannot even imagine. And this is why I say that friendship is rooted and empowered by the Gospel. Without that we're going to try to live out a friendship that is rooted in and empowered by my own sin nature. And I am hosed. We all are. Because then we approach marriage and friendship from I will give you what you want if you give me what I want. Right? Yeah, I know I'm not the only one. And by the way, I'm not going to always tell you what I want. I'm going to expect you to read my mind as to what I want. Because if you really loved me, you would know, right? Yeah. Guys do that too, by the way. We just don't readily admit it. That's what we're left with. And when people divorce, it's because of that. They are living out their marriage rooted and established in their own sin nature. And it comes across in so many different ways. Avoidance, anger, bitterness, grudges, murmurings, holding grudges, all the way back to the beginning. Okay? That's the rootedness. Passivity, excuse me while I fall over, passivity, Things like that. Anger. Whatever you want to add to that list. So, friendship is rooted and empowered in the Gospel. Not chemistry. And not in how others treat you. That wasn't the basis of Jesus' life. It's His example and certainly not the basis upon those inclinations with which He has planted within us. He says, I'm giving you a whole new and different operating system. All of your life, Martin, 
you operated as a Windows computer. I'm now giving you the holy, sanctified version of Mac. <laughs> Amen? Yeah! All right, I figured I'd appeal to the nerds among us. Now, this change process moves me, it moves me over time to surrender, to confront my own pride, and to live with my spouse with humility and sympathy. Because as I go through this change process, all of a sudden I start to, God begins to expose on my backstage my pride, my arrogance, my contempt, and all of this. He begins to expose that. Now, what are some strategies? And this is, again, a follow-up question that Jason sent. What are some good strategies for fighting for empathy? And I would change that to sympathy based upon his wife's definitions. Um, Empathy, sympathy, you know. Um, I keep having to ask Hannah, what is the difference between those two again? Um, What are some good strategies for fighting for empathy and humility? And though I specified in his question last week, in the moment of a fight, I'm really interested in before the fight as well. In other words, how do, we, how do I become a humble, sympathetic person? And I want to say this, and it goes back to what I've just shared. It's about being before doing. It's about making sure that we are coming before God on our knees in humility and say, God, I want to live a life of humility and sympathy. But that's not my nature, but I know that you've placed those seeds within my nature. And so God, begin to change me into that kind of person. One who is genuinely, over time, in increasing measure, as Peter says in 2 Peter 1, one who is over time in an increasing measure becomes more and more humble and more and more sympathetic or empathetic, depending on which word you want to use, depending on whether or not you can relate to what the person is going to because you've experienced the same thing, which is empathy or sympathy, which is I really want to understand and while I cannot understand because I've experienced it myself, I love you and I want to understand what it takes to live in your life. Okay? Um, God, make me that kind of person. And in that process, I need to become preoccupied with Jesus and the life that He lived and what He has done for me and what He wants to do with me. I become preoccupied with Jesus. We become what? Say it again. That's important for us to understand. That's Philippians 2. And as we become preoccupied with Jesus, suddenly we begin to recognize, and He begins to point out, and calls me to repent of my own personal pride and contempt for others. That's what happens. He says, Martin, why are you feeling this way about this person? Why are you feeling this way about this situation? Well, God, because this happened. Bart Martin, it's not about what this happened happened. It's about how you are responding, the kind of person you're bringing to the table in response to that. And the bottom line, Martin, is you are a contemptuous man. You feel contempt for other people who don't do what you want them to do, when you want them to do it, and how you want them to do it. And I say, Lord, forgive me. For I am a proud and contemptuous man. So 
why James says in James 4, the reason you feel the way you do and it's lived out through the actions that you're doing to one another of anger and bitterness is because of your pride and your contempt. And he says, repent of that. Humble yourself. Go before God and say, God, make me a humble man. And that's a scary prayer to pray, right? But if you want God to do a wholesale renovation of the backstage of our lives, that's where you begin. Because that is the key, I believe, that unlocks the door and invites God to come into our lives and change me from the inside out. And God, take out the roots. Take out the roots. Now, that's why I say it's about being before doing. And before is not necessarily I've got to become a completely humble man and sympathetic um, in, on my insides before I begin to live it out. So you can't go to your wife and your wife can't say to you, you're not being very humble and empathetic. Well, I'm not that way yet on the inside, so God's got some more work on me, so I'll, get, I'll start living that way 20 years from now. Okay, It's not a trump card that excuses bad behavior. But what it is, is the recognition that there is a concurrent working relationship of God within me. And as He begins to prick my heart and move in my heart, then I respond. And as I respond, then He goes deeper. And as He goes deeper, I respond more deeply. And then, it begins to take root. So doing must always overflow out of my becoming. So what does it look like to begin to live with my wife in a humble and sympathetic manner? And I talked real briefly about this last week or two weeks ago. I'll just briefly mention it because the women were gone. I want them to get this. Joking, gals. Humility and sympathy asks questions like, what's it like to walk in your shoes? What's it like to be married to me? Wow. What's it like to be married? What's it, what's it like to make love to me? Do you experience me, honey, as a person who's being changed by Jesus? Doing flows out of my being, becoming, and it's when we begin to see that take root in our lives and we become interested in those kinds of things. Those kinds of desires to understand what it's like to walk in the spouse of my, the shoes of my spouse. Now this becoming process, this whole process, like I said, and I'll say it again, is a lifelong journey. And Friday morning, Kim and I were, <laughs> Kim and I were uh, sitting on the couch together we were drinking our coffee and reading, and she says, you know, I started reading some of my journals from many years ago. And my wife is a woman who's been transformed by the Gospel. And so when she got up this morning, she started, well, she was sharing with me what she, had, what she wrote back then, and you know, we were kind of laughing about that and having a good time with that. So when she got up and walked into the family room this morning, still groggy, hanging onto her cup of coffee, I said, honey, how would you like to share this morning? And she said, what? But graciously, I, I've asked her if she would just share a little bit about how God has changed her life. So, honey? Everybody say hi to my wonderful wife. 
Well, it was Saturday, actually, that I picked up these. I don't know why I felt led to uh, go back. Well, I was reading a book about journaling, and so I just picked up some old journals that I had written in. And when Martin got home, I said, man, I was so messed up back then. <laughs> I, my journals are filled with anger and selfishness and pride and loneliness and criticism and negativity, and oh my goodness, I could have just gone on and on. So I wanted to read to you a portion of one of them. And um, by the way, my husband was in the ministry, and I just was thinking this morning as sitting there listening to the, the transforming power of the gospel in Robert's life, of you know coming from a very rough background. Well, I was a pastor's wife, and um, <clears throat> I was also very messed up, but nobody would have known it to look at me. And so here's, uh, 22 years ago, I wrote, Lord, I've been such an ogre lately. I've been crabby, grouchy, self-centered. I have withdrawn from people and become consumed with myself. I can't handle the kids. They're constant fighting. I lose my temper with them over everything. I pray to you and ask that you teach me to walk by the Spirit and how to remain in you. And then I have horrible days like yesterday. My son doesn't even want me around. Um... I don't want to read the whole thing. But, um, Lord, help. What do I do? I refuse to blame my behavior on my pregnancy because I was pregnant with Wesley. How can I handle three children when I'm having trouble with two now? I can't do it on my own. Lord, I am nothing without you. Satan is telling me lies that you are probably disgusted with me. You're disappointed in me, and I'm of no value to you. But then I picture Jesus beckoning to me and saying the words of Matthew 11:28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You do care for me. Help me depend on you and experience your grace and forgiveness, thereby enabling me to forgive and love others. And I, I chose one on parenting. I don't know why, but I could have said the same. I mean, there's still there's a ton of entries in there. Why I was angry with Martin because he didn't do something I wanted him to do. I was very controlling. Um, I was just a very angry, messed up person, and. I look at me today and I still get angry and I still try to control but I don't I feel like wow I was just I was as I was reading this I was thankful that I could see how God has changed me through 22 years and and I think in all my journal entries they almost all go back to Lord change me Lord I I confess my sin and just focusing on the Lord and so I wanted to read a verse that I thought of as I was sitting there this morning. Hebrews 12:1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And it's not like Jesus completely changed me, the very next month because I flipped the page over and it says, Lord, I read the last entry. I see myself exactly the same problems. <laughs> so that was two months later, three months after the baby was born and I was still a mess. <laughs> so, um, but, but God is, I just want to give glory to God. He is faithful and I am, I am still a work in progress. Amen. Amen. And you know the good news is, is that God is not impatient 
with, in, with us in the process that He is walking with us in. In other words, He doesn't look at us one day and says, Martin, you still don't get it. You did the same thing last week as you did this week. He's no threat to us. He says, I'm working. I'm working. And when we take our failures and we translate it into His and say that our failures mean that He's holding contempt towards us, then we are making Him into a different kind of God than what He is. He is making us, he, we are making Him into a burdensome, tyrannical God after our own making. And I'm sorry to say, sometimes pastors like myself create that image by establishing expectations and through not emphasizing the Gospel enough and instead emphasizing and underlining and highlighting, choose to do this. As opposed to, God, change me and empower me along that road. Right? Now, I've never done that, but other pastors do. <laughs> That's a lie, by the way. That's why I can't preach so many of my old sermons again. <laughs> I don't agree with that anymore. So, how do you do this? You know, you know how, if God is working in our lives towards this direction, what are some helps along the way in this whole humility and sympathy and discovery process? One person wrote, we don't know, my husband and I, we don't know how to talk to each other. This is a couple who just has grown apart over the years. Pretty soon they don't know the way back. We don't know how to share dreams and goals and etc. And this is not where I want to be. It begins with saying, God, I want to become a different kind of person and bring that person to the table that reflects the Gospel that is not shaped, my actions are not shaped by what my spouse does to me, but by what you have given to me and what you are doing in me. That's what we bring to the table. Recently, a person has mentioned that as this person has changed, his spouse, her spouse has come and says, wow, that means... I can become a different kind of person too. That's a summary. But that's the idea. But sometimes we don't even know where to begin to ask the questions. So I'm going to give you, I've given them many times in the past, but there are some handouts in the back room as you exit the door as well as in the foyer, just questions for you to talk about. When you've lost your way with the friendship of your spouse and you don't know how to go and you want to start with God first and then you need to know just how do I begin to engage as a result of what God is doing in me, then these are some questions that can help okay, along that process. Um, unfortunately, and oftentimes more reality than anything else, Many of us need to get to know again the person with whom we share the same house and the same bed. 
So, there you go. Next, next thought is this. This change process doesn't only move me to engage my spouse with humility and sympathy, but it also begins to challenge my own selfishness and engage my spouse with a radical and generous spirit. A radical and generous spirit. As a result of what Jesus is doing in my life, the transforming that's taken place, I become a person who says, you know what? Rather than begrudging and complaining, I want to become a person who is radical and generous. Paul writes to the Ephesians in, in Acts 20, he says, remember the words of Jesus Christ. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than, in, than to receive. Now, what are some ways in which we can become radically generous towards our spouse as a result of what the Spirit is doing within me and the kind of person He is changing me into? Not because my spouse treats me in a certain kind of way, but be generous with your words of encouragement and appreciation. Be generous with your words of encouragement and appreciation. It says in Proverbs 10, the lips of the righteous nourish, nourish many people. As God changes my heart, it becomes evident in the words that I speak. That idea of nourish, nourish gives a picture. It's a shepherding metaphor of a shepherd leading his sheep or her sheep to the place that they need to go to so that they can experience safety and shalom that they get what they need to be able to thrive in life. Our words have the power to give life and our words have the power to give death. And we've got to choose. Sorry, there's the word. We've got to choose, but it's rooted in the kind of person that God is turning me into. We choose to live out that shepherding influence of, God's in my, of God in my life through Jesus and the Gospel. And we begin to bless others with that. By giving them, by letting them know, letting them hear what they need to hear. By giving words of encouragement and appreciation. Look for the little things that he or she is doing right and just say thank you. How often times do things happen around us that our spouse does and we never say boo to? We just take them for granted. We just say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This builds the relationship, a relationship of appreciation and respect. It's the same thing of what Paul writes in Ephesians 4.29 of make sure that every word that you give, that you speak, builds up. It gives grace to those who hear when they need to hear it. And every one of us have the power to do that. We have the power to do that. And then we focus, stop focusing on what he or she is doing wrong. This builds a wall, a relationship, a culture within the relationship of criticism which becomes soon contempt and will sabotage any desire, any desire to even be together. I read uh, an article and, uh, from... Um, I forgot his name, but he's up at University of Washington and he writes this. People who are focused on criticizing their partners miss a whopping 50% of positive things their partners are doing. In other words, they not only miss it, they're blind to it. 
They don't see it. They see, all they see are negativity when it's not there. When it's not even there. People who give their partner the cold shoulder, deliberately ignoring the partner or responding in a kind or minimal way, they damage the relationship by making their partner feel worthless and invisible. Being mean is the death knell of any relationship. Now while that came out of a researcher at the University of Washington, it's very rooted in Scripture. Okay, Words have the power to give life and they have the power to give death. Be, be verbal. Be generous with your time. Making space for common everyday stuff. You know, I was... Uh, Kim and I went through a season where we were frustrated with our own kids because we wanted to talk to them about everyday stuff, like how's your day going? You know, how do our kids oftentimes respond? Fine. Like, and then you press them on that and they become irritated. And about two years ago, we took our boys and Linda out for breakfast up at the pancake house. And I thought, I'm going to tell them why that's important to us. I said, this, we do this. I figured I was buying them breakfast. They owed me some time. <laughs> I said, the reason that we ask mundane questions is because it's our way of being able to establish mundane connections with you. And those connections begin to allow us to have a connection so that when significant, painful issues arise, then, then we have a route, we have a road in which we have a relationship in which to discuss those. If we go through life and we don't talk to one another about the mundane things, when the hard things and the hurtful things come up, we'll never be able to talk about them. It's that same way with our spouse. So, guys, when your wife asks you how things are going during the day, tell them. Not just about the things that you did, but what was going on in your mind and your heart. And I know that's going to cause us to have to go a little deeper, but we can go there, all right? So that's important. But every everyday conversation and build shared experiences. Go have fun together. Go have fun together. It's important for us to just do fun things together, dumb things together, fun things together, you know? Uh, it's amazing to me about how many people that we that I talk to, Kim talked to, who have never been to some of the glorious places that cost no money right around here, like up at Paradise. And they don't do anything together. I think, how boring. And we've shared with some, one couple that, we're, that we have done premarital counseling with, that says, guys, make up a list. You each make up your own list of things that you want to do with the other person, regardless of whether or not the other person wants to do it. You think I like to ride a bicycle? I don't. But I'll ride a bicycle with my wife. You think she likes to ride on the back of a motorcycle? You bet she does. <laughs> not really. But we choose to do that because we love each other. We want to create a shared experience. That's what we do. You think I like to hike? Not necessarily. 
You think she likes to drive 500 miles in a day? Not necessarily. But you know, we do these things together to create bonding experiences in the mundane things. So make up a list of things that you want to do with the other spouse, regardless of whether or not the spouse wants to do it. And then you take and you put those things in a jar, a his jar and a her jar. And each week you take and pull out one of those things and you get to look at the other person and say, honey, look at what we get to go do. And I would encourage you, don't make it sexual, okay? This is about bonding together in friendship, all right? You know? So I'm just, I'm, I say that for the benefit of the guys, all right? Okay? Well, keep it safe, all right? But each week, just one person takes one out of one jar, the other one takes one out of the other jar. Okay? But what happens, Martin, if we're not feeling it? You know, just take that and say, you know what, God? I recognize that this is a problem that exists. And God, I know that it begins between me and you. So God, I choose to say, ask you, God, make me a generous person towards my spouse. Make me a generous person towards my spouse. And begin there. You begin with change on your knees before God. Okay? And then begin to live that out. Be generous with your actions. Look for things that you can do to bless your spouse just because. Just because. You want to be a generous, generous person. Okay? You know, there's so much more I could say, but my time is up. Next week, we will begin dealing with conflict. <laughs> so, but before you can really handle conflict well, this is foundational to that. Okay? So your homework has been stated this morning. Okay? You can take any part of what I've shared and you can begin to say, okay, God, do this in me and help me live this out this week. Okay? Help me to live this out this week. You married the person you married for a reason. And while you may have forgotten what that reason is, God hasn't. And He's willing to say, I'm with you in this. You know, it says in 1 John 1 7, He who walks in the light, if we walk with God in that openness relationship, He will have fellowship. We will have fellowship one with another. You wouldn't expect to see walking with God fellowship with one another. You'd expect to see walking with God fellowship with God, right? But Jesus says, God makes it clear that it begins here with me and as that begins to happen, I change you and that changes the kind of person that you bring into the relationship with that person with whom you are closest. And among us as well. Let's pray. Father, thank You for just the, the Word that You have demonstrated within Scripture. And Lord, I thank You for just a wonderful wife. Lord, she and I still have a long ways to go, but Lord, we thank You for the Gospel who's changing us. And I thank You for the privilege of being married to a woman who is indeed being changed by the power of the Gospel. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that same thing. Lord, may we see that taking place for Your honor and for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.